Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings. This week, we're going to be joined by the Hall of Fame General Manager Bill Polian, who will provide insights into what are some of the hidden storylines and challenges for the upcoming 2020 season, an unprecedented year in NFL and world history. And we'll be joined by the Pro Bowl punter of the New Orleans Saints and a member of the executive committee of the NFL Players Association that was so key to putting together the deal for the health and safety protocols and financial arrangements that will be in place for the upcoming season. Saints punter Thomas Morstead, one of the most intelligent players in the game today, will provide some insight into the challenges of this season. And here's the interesting part. The deal that Thomas Morstead helped put together was running on a parallel track, the deal that the Jets general manager, Joe Douglas, and the Seahawks general manager, John Schneider, had put together for Jamal Adams days before. Now, I know everybody's aware that Jamal Adams criticized Adam Gase in Friday's New York Daily News, took him on, tried to force the issue, tried to continue to make the situation such that the Jets couldn't keep him. But the truth is that the Jets and Seahawks had a deal in place days before that was contingent upon the new financial arrangements of the collective bargaining agreement and the financial plan that Thomas Morstead and the rest of the NFLPA and NFL was able to put together on Friday night and passed. And once that deal passed, that signified the new financial arrangements for the coming season and how the revenue shortfall would impact the 2021 season, then the Jets and Seahawks could finish off the deal that they had been discussing and really agreed upon that would send Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. And what a trade that was. When you look at these trades, which seem to be becoming more and more prevalent in the NFL, where teams send high-profile, established Pro Bowl-type players for draft picks, think back. Look, we've seen Jalen Ramsey traded from Jacksonville to the Los Angeles Rams. We've seen Laramie Tunsil traded from the Miami Dolphins to the Houston Texans. We've seen Khalil Mack traded from the Raiders to the Chicago Bears. We are now seeing more of these trades than ever before. And the Jamal Adams one became the latest example where, in my mind, both teams win the deal. Both teams. Seattle gets back an elite defensive player that steps in to play a role much like Cam Chancellor once did for the Seahawks, while giving up two firsts and a third, essentially, for Jamal Adams. Seahawks pick at the back of the draft anyway. What are those draft picks going to mean to that franchise when they're competing with the 49ers, the other teams in that division, to try to get to the postseason. They don't get the chance to get a player like Jamal Adams in the draft very often. And so they gave up two ones and a three to get him, and they're pleased with that. And the Jets get all these extra picks to continue to add on to their franchise for a deal that they felt like they had to make eventually. And I can tell you this, there were other teams that were interested in making a trade for Jamal Adams. One of them checked in with me over the July 4th holiday and was determined to try to get a deal done, and obviously got beat to the punch by the Seattle Seahawks, who had that deal in place once the new financial arrangements got made. Now, again, we're living in a new NFL world. And how about this story? There was a team last week that had an alarm in its building. When the organization had been back to work, there was an assistant strength coach 
that tested positive for COVID. And they were all worried that they were going to have to evacuate the building because the employee had been in the building. And they sent the employee home only to find out the next day that it was a false positive. And he was allowed back in the building. Everybody was allowed to reconvene. And I think this story is an example of the kind of year we are going to get where there are people who test positive, and sometimes it turns out to be a false positive, or people who test negative and might have the virus. But I think there are going to be people that land the virus this year, and it's not going to be a question of how many, because there's going to be plenty of positive tests in the NFL, but how teams deal with the issue. And as we were taping with Thomas Morstead today, as you'll hear later in this podcast, the news came out that eight Marlins players and two coaches tested positive for COVID, resulting in that team canceling its home opener. And we discussed with Thomas about how that would be handled in the NFL this season. All right. Before we get into today's interviews, I want to remind everyone that Brian Windhorse is keeping everyone up to date with all the NBA news inside and outside the NBA bubble. Be sure to download and subscribe to Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective podcast, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the great former general manager, the Indianapolis Colts, Buffalo Bills, Carolina Panthers, Bill Pullian. Joining us now, the Hall of Fame general manager, friend of mine, man who now has his own podcast, Inside Football, with Bill Pullian, in which he talks about career decisions like Manning versus Leaf, the life of a scout, hiring a head coach, and key people with whom he's worked with, like Tony Dungy. Bill Polian, Bill, thank you very much for the time today. Well, thank you, Adam. It's great to be with you again. I, I, I miss uh, our conversations on a, on a daily basis when I was at ESPN. Europe. You're a font of information. <laughs> well, I, I miss being with you because I feel the same way about you. And I should start out by saying, and I wasn't even thinking of sharing the story, but it's such a good story that I'm going to open the podcast with it, Bill. We have these little kiosks at ESPN where you can go get food and snacks. And they have energy bars and popcorn and potato chips and pretzels and sodas. And so you go, th- you go there and you put in your credit card and you take what you want. And so our boss, our friend Seth Markman, got a call from ESPN Security a couple of years ago. And they let him know that there was a problem with an employee. And Seth said, what's that? And they said, we've got one employee where for months he's come to the kiosk. He's taken what he's wanted. He's left without paying. And it's a pattern of behavior that's gone on unmitigated. And we've got video evidence to support it. And Seth's like, oh, my God, who is it? And they said, Bill Pullian. <laughs> so obviously you didn't realize that you had to pay for the little snacks at ESPN. And so Seth's fancy football team name has been for years since that incident, Pullian's Dine and Dash. <laughs> I'd never heard that. He never mentioned that to me. <laughs> Would you I like to address that? Would you like to address those charges? I don't think it happened for very long, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you were unaware of that story? No, I never heard it before. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I can't believe you don't know that. That's amazing to me. I couldn't wait to bring that up to you. But it's entirely, it's entirely possible because in the early days, <laughs> having just transitioned from the NFL where I was used to going into the cafeteria and, you know, taking whatever snack was available at any time. 
it's possible that it could have happened. I learned pretty quickly that you had to put your credit card in. <laughs> well, Seth's fancy football team won a championship with the name Polian's Dine and Dash, which is still the name of his team. So actually, you should ask him for naming rights. Like you've got that name, that's your name, and that you should be entitled to a portion of his winnings for him winning the fancy football league. That's absolutely correct. I'm going to call him today. <laughs> Please do that, and you can blame me. All right. Last night, you know what? I was going to go into a number of different directions with you. In addition to your podcast, which we will bring up again, the name of the podcast, Inside Football, Bill Pulliam. And there are so many issues in this COVID season that we're going to tack, that we're going to tackle and address. But before we get to that, I was on a call last night with Jim Cramer, the mad money analyst, a friend of mine who's a great guy. And we were on this conference call with a bunch of athletes asking him questions. And our friend at ESPN, Mike Tannenbaum, came on and asked him a question. He said, Jim, you've had so much success. If you look back at your career now, what do you wish you had done differently 20, 30 years ago? So I would say to Bill Polian, you're now a 77-year-old retired general manager in the Hall of Fame. you got the podcast. you got all these sorts of other projects going on. What would you say to younger Bill Polian about the directions that he should take and the roads he should follow? Oh, boy. I, 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 I probably would only change a couple of things. One would be that I wish that I had been better prepared to deal with corporate type people when I became a general manager. That was the one area that I wasn't prepared to handle. And I made some mistakes, which which ended up for me personally being costly. Um, but other than that, I don't think I would have traded a, a thing because I was when I got the job in Buffalo, largely because no one else wanted it, uh, the situation was dire. <laughs> in fact, the, 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 the columnist then in the Buffalo Evening News, Larry Felser, had written a column after two consecutive two and 14 seasons, which said, you know, let, the, let them leave. They're an embarrassment. Let, let them go somewhere else. Um, and that was real. I mean, it, that wasn't a, it wasn't pie in the sky. And it wasn't an overreach. Um, so, uh, you know, I was completely unknown to the football public and, and to many, many writers, even in those days, although I, I knew a few from having been an advanced scout. But I was, I thought I was absolutely completely prepared because I'd basically done everything that you need to do to be a general manager. But the one thing that I had not learned because I had not spent significant time in the upper reaches of the business world was that um, I, I wasn't as smooth as I could have been in, in, in handling those things. That's the only thing I look back on and say, gee, I wish I'd done that differently. And then, of course, the other, the other thing would have been to have a veteran backup quarterback in 2011 when Peyton went down which would have made us, in spite of some other injuries on defense as the season went along, much more competitive than we were. And that's, uh, that's, that's my greatest regret. I, I feel blessed. As it turned out, every 
every uh, bump in the road uh, helped me get better and, and led to better things. Every twist and turn, no matter uh, how dark they looked at the time, led to something better. Uh, I'm the I'm the the living embodiment of when one door closes, another opens, including my my time at ESPN. So no regrets at all, none. And, and for those who don't know, you started out as a scout with the Chiefs. You went to became a scout with the Montreal Alouettes, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the Chicago Blitz. Uh, before you became the pro personnel director of the Buffalo Bills and the GM, GM of the Carolina Panthers when they were an expansion team, GM of the Colts when they won a Super Bowl. And it's quite a career, which is why you are in the Hall of Fame. But how does a football scout learn to deal with the corporate people coming up in a football culture and transitioning to a corporate culture, Bill? Well, it's hard. Um, when I when I, when I became general manager in Indianapolis, there was a book that came out called 10 Day MBA. And so I read it from cover to cover during my vacation. I, I spent three or so, four hours every day reading it and, and you know, taking the test that it had in it and so on and so forth, um, just to get myself updated and even more acquainted with the business world because I was going to go, I was going to be president of, of football operations for the Colts and therefore have a an even more high profile role on the business side than I had before. And and that was extremely helpful. I, 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 I wish that probably at some point during my development as a football guy, I, I had had a little much, bit more exposure to, to the uh, upper reaches of, of business culture. And it's just cultural, that's all. You know, it's learning not to take seriously everything that's said uh, learning to, you know, keep a poker face in a lot of situations, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to that. So other than that, uh, you know, I, I was completely prepared when I took over in Buffalo. There wasn't anything on the football side that I hadn't done uh, at, at some point in some league, uh, including coaching for the first 10 years of my career, that, that, that I hadn't had experience at. So for that, that part of it, I hit the, including marketing, I hit the ground running in, the, in that regard and had a great staff to work with. It's just the, as I said, the exposure to the upper level of business culture and, and, and phrases like EBITDA and other, you know, financial phrases. I, I didn't speak any finance when I took the job. And, and it, today, in today's world, if you're a GM, you better speak finance because that's what owners and, financial officers understand that's the way they speak and think so i when i when people ask me ironically enough not not that same question but in that context of how can i i must i'd probably get 150 200 letters a year from college kids saying i'd like to become a general manager what do i do and, and my first response is to make sure you take a lot of business courses a smattering of business courses so you understand the language you understand accounting you understand finance at least at a rudimentary level, so that you can converse properly with with people, because the, that's what the game has become. Uh, after all, the the last couple of sales of franchises and 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 likely the others coming forward have been sold to hedge fund people or people who were who were billionaires in one industry or another, and 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 that's the language they speak. 
it's a different world. It's a big business now. It it's always been a big business, but the numbers have gotten crazy, right? The value of the franchises is over three billion dollars per team. The money that it generates each team in the league itself is off the charts. You never would have imagined that it would have gotten to these levels, and it only seems to be growing despite the fact that we're in COVID now, and there will be a temporary setback before I would imagine things get back to normal. And you talk about these aspiring general manager front office people coming to you for advice and you recommending that they go into finance. Well, I guess you could also say that they need to know this year and in future years something about science and medicine as well. What would you imagine it would be like today to be the general manager or to run a team in a time of COVID, Bill? Well, I don't think it's much different, very honestly, than it than it's been before, because the medical side of it is something that you deal with as a personnel director, you deal with it as a pro personnel director, and you deal with it intimately day to day as a general manager. So this is as bad as it is, and as tragic as it is for those that have lost their lives, and as a difficult it is for everybody in the country, it is a, a an issue that you can sit down and talk with your internist about and maybe even bring an epidemiologist in and talk with him. And if you're an experienced general manager, you can converse with them. You can understand what they're saying. You can understand uh, what the, the challenges are that, that face you, just as you can and should understand what the challenges are vis-a-vis -vis concussions. Um, that that's th this is a game that where there's a hundred percent injury rate, so it's something you deal with. I that I, I haven't talked to anybody among my friends in the league that are having difficulty with that, and I haven't run across anybody who's really not conversant with it because medicine. The medical part of football, the injury part of football, is the physiological part of football is stuff that you deal with every day. But this is different, just everything that they've had to set up to try to overcome this, the testing that they'll be doing on a daily basis initially and then intermittently, and everything that they're going to have to go through, not to mention whatever setbacks we may encounter during the course of the summer or the season that could interrupt, delay, postpone, suspend or weeks of games, we, we don't know how this is going to go. And everybody's so used to things operating a certain way. Like we've seen free agency operate. And this year, there were no free agent visits. And people wonder, well, how are we going to do this? Well, it got done. And then the draft, you can't bring in any players to interview. And you're going to do it virtually. And how are we going to do this? But it got done. And now we're to the season where coaches are wondering, how is this going to happen when we spend eight days doing testing and physicals, and then another three weeks of conditioning, and then two weeks of practice, no preseason games, before you go into the regular season, assuming there's no setbacks, assuming it goes off the schedule. And then here we go with the season in a year where there's really less preparation and on-field work than ever before. That's going to be different, no? Yes, it's going to be vastly different. But unlike what people uh, – who play fantasy football, not that there's anything wrong with that, think a general manager, a personnel director, a head coach, uh, perhaps even a coordinator, if the, he or she has the ability to be a head coach, 
think broadly with, with almost a 360 degree reach and and certainly far down the road. And And the job is really more about dealing with problems and dealing with difficulties than it is, or at least as much as it is picking the right player. So for example, um, if you've been a team that's gone to Europe, uh, the general manager and his operations staff has been charged with making sure that everyone has a passport, making sure that everyone is a documented citizen, making sure that everyone's been vaccinated appropriately, making sure that uh, that the passing through customs at both ends of the trip is, is done in an efficient way so you don't have to stand online for four hours. All of those kinds of things, hotels, financial exchange, money exchange, all of those things go into taking a trip to Japan, for example, as we did with the Colts in, in 2005, I think it was. So you, you deal with that on, on a daily basis. Reconfiguring the facility is something that, that you do fairly often because every year in this day and age, when the roster expands or something else, some other rule comes along that you have to deal with, you have to talk about with the engineers, with the, with the people that run the facility or the stadium, you have to talk with them about that. So again, that's not something that's alien or, or something that you, you, can't, you can't deal with. It, it, it is what you deal with. Last year, for example, uh, at this time, there was a dearth of charter flights. People couldn't right. get charter flights. Right. You remember that? Yeah. So, the league office doesn't solve that. They don't have any capacity to solve it, actually. The people that work in the league office don't have any experience with that. So it fell to the clubs to do it, and they did. They worked it out. Uh, and, and I got a lot of calls from people saying, hey, did you ever work with this airline? Did you work with that airline? What about this charter service? And, and everybody was helping everybody out try and get through that bump in the road. That's, that's what we do as, as executives. Uh, we we don't take the off season off. <laughs> People used to say to me, "What are you doing in the off season?" I said, "Well, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things to do." <laughs> so oh, yeah. this is this is not alien to general managers and personnel directors and assistant general managers. Um, scouts probably have not gone through it, although we tried to train our guys uh, and give them assignments in in that area, particularly in the running of training camp. So they would the, the up and coming guys, you know, would get a, a chance to have some managerial experience and some problem solving experience. Assistant coaches don't go through it, although now they're being forced because of the circumstances to rethink how they drill and how they practice. I talked to somebody yesterday who, who said that they're thinking about actually splitting their practices in two so that. One that 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 the first offensive line would not practice together. They practice separately. You know, three guys here, two guys there, so you don't run the risk of infecting them. All of those kinds of things are what GMs and and football ops guys and 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 uh, personnel people do. So, uh, in, in in conjunction with the head coach, I will say this: the head coach has been burdened with far far too many. 
issues that he's had to deal with this year. And then, of course, the the original league directive that was sent out that said the general manager and the personnel director couldn't be around the team. <laughs> I called the general manager friend of mine and said, have you violated that yet? He said, I did it three times in the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> How would you have reacted to the league telling you you couldn't be around your team? And I made a paper airplane out of the directive. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone immediately after having flown the paper airplane out the window. I would have gone to uh, I would have gone to the doctor and said, how do we make this work? You know, I, I've got to be around the team. So I think that's been straightened out. But uh, the bottom line is that that's what we do is solve problems. And I, so I, I don't have any doubt at all that this will go as smoothly as it possibly can go logistically from the standpoint of people doing what they're supposed to do. Even the players, even though they're not in a bubble, I think they're going to work very hard to make sure that the rookies particularly understand that, hey, we're all in this together, man. You know, I've got two kids at home. I've got a pregnant wife at home. You Don't foul up and, and, and do something that's going to hurt my family. And I'm hearing more and more clubs are asking their veterans to get with the rookies and explain to them. This is real, guys. This is, you know, this is somebody's life that's at stake here. You, you better do to, to the line that, that the league has set. And I will say this, incredible kudos to Roger Goodell, to uh, uh, Troy Vincent, to all of Dr. Sills and all the medical people at the league for working through these protocols. They, they have done a magnificent job. And it proves once again why we are the number one sport. It's not an accident. They, they have leadership at every level, starting with Roger and with all of the, the senior people that work there in the decision-making process that really pitch in and do what they, what they have to do to solve every problem. So, you know, the, the, from testing, which is, as we know, is a real problem around the country, to how you structure the stadium, how you handle film exchange, uh, that right now they're talking about how to structure the practice squad. How, I don't think how many is at issue. It, what's at issue is what kind of movement there is off the practice squad. That kind of stuff and working with the union. I mean, that could have been a very adversarial situation as we saw develop in baseball. It wasn't because of Jeff Pash, because of union leadership, D. Smith, Roger, all the people that were involved with that. They made it happen. Uh, the, as I say, the, the fact that we're the number one sport is, is due in large measure to the great athletes we have and the great coaches we have, but it's also due to the leadership of the people we have at the league office and in senior positions at the clubs. And that's been clear. Having said that, there are going to be bumps in the road because as Dr. Fauci said months ago, we're not in charge. The virus is in charge. The question that I'm asked most often, and you seem to sound very confident, more confident than a lot of people that I've spoken to, is you sound like you are convinced there's going to be football. Because the one question I'm asked over and over more than any other on a daily basis is, are we going to have football this season? Yes, I am confident that there will be football. I'm confident we'll get started. I certainly don't know if we'll finish or in what way we'll finish. I have no idea. And I'm not sure anybody else does either. I think we just have to we have to see what develops. We have to uh, determine as we go along 
how we deal with issues. Who knows what's going to happen down the road? I, I'm certainly not smart enough to know, but I'm, I'm, I feel fairly confident that we'll get up and running. Whether we can sustain it or not, who knows? Let's assume we have football this year. Give me a couple of things that you think we might see that are unexpected, that are off the radar of the common fan, a surprise team, a breakthrough player, a trend that you think has a chance to happen this year. With all the experience you have in the sport and it's vast, give me a couple of things to look for should we be fortunate enough to have the football we all want this season, Bill? If we're fortunate enough to have it, and Lord knows we need it, you know, boy, do we need sports. I agree. If we've proved, Howard Cosell once said that sports is the toy department of life, and he was right as far as that goes. But you know what? You know what this has proved? We surely all need these toys in our lives to make our lives easier and more fun. That, that's what it boils down to. I, I couldn't wait for last night for baseball to open up. I, I just couldn't. It's just, it, thank God, you know, it, 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 <laughs> you don't have to listen to these downer reports day in and day out. Bill, so, I've, watched, I've watched every hole of golf of the, of the first six games. So did I. <laughs> I've watched every hole. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's become my new favorite thing. Yeah. Bottom line, it is important to our, to our lifestyle um, as a nation. So here are some things that I, that I, that I kind of know are going to happen. The first thing that fans need to know is that this is not like the replacement season of 1987, if you remember that, it, which was a debacle, by the way. But the smartest team did win because the Washington uh, team, the Redskins at the time, under Bobby Beathard, Charlie Casserly, and Joe Gibbs, wisely sequestered a second team, or a replacement team, and practiced them the whole time. Many of us, including the Giants under George Young and the Bills under myself, did not do that. And, and, and so when it came to play that, those replacement games, we were awful. And, and most everybody was. And it was a disgrace to do it. But, but the fact of the matter is the Redskins prospered because they thought ahead and they did it right. Now, you know, whether they bent the rules or not is immaterial. There were no rules at that point in time. So that's not going to happen this time around. I had a fan call my serious radio show the other night and, and, and disagree with me on this. And, and I respectfully said, you're wrong. He said, the good coaches and the good organizations will find a way to win. They will try, but that's as far as it goes because the virus is going to decide who's going to win. That's what's going to happen. Unless we have a vaccine sometime before the playoffs, the virus is going to randomly decide who loses their starting quarterback for an extended period of time, just as the Boston Red Sox have lost Eduardo Rodriguez, their number one pitcher, for an extended period of time, an unknown period of time because of, quote, complications, close quote, with COVID. So, the coaches and the organizations really don't have a lot of control over the product they're going to put on the field. So if you're a fan, 
don't bellyache because your team is forced to play the third quarterback for two weeks while your first two guys are under quarantine. That's nobody's fault. It's not the coach's fault. It's not the coordinator's fault. It's not the GM's fault. It's the fault of the virus. So you're going to get football back. It's going to look a little bit different, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But please don't think that anybody on your favorite team is totally in charge of their destiny. They are not. I refer back again to Dr. Fauci. The virus is in charge, and we don't know what it holds for us, any more than those poor people in the South and Southwest who thought they were past the storm uh, and now are suffering greatly because of it. So there's, um, hope, so there's hope for the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions or Jacksonville yes, Jaguars or the Detroit Lions to win the Super Bowl. Yes, yes there is. Yes, there is. <laughs> Under certain circumstances, yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it would take a lot of a lot of better teams to suffer flings and arrow of unrequited faith, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is that that could happen. That could happen. So, uh, and it could, God forbid, it could happen in the playoffs. Of that, I'm sure. That I'm sure. Now, with respect to what the game's going to look like on the field, because of, this is what my experience teaches me, because of the lack of contact that we'll have in training camp, obviously necessary, and because we will not have had any preseason games, two things will occur. Number one, Rookies will be so far behind that they really won't play much of a role in winning. You might put them on the field. They might have to play because you don't have anybody better, but they're not going to play at a high level. All positions, so Bill, a, all rookies? The exception is running back. Maybe receiver, maybe, but that's a, that's a big maybe. And maybe edge rushers in that role only. What about Joe Burrow? No, Joe Burrow's going to struggle. He's going to struggle. He's so far behind now. Lord, you know, Bill, this is Bill Parcells. The best way to learn how to play football is to play football. And we play football in training camp and in OTAs to a certain extent, and we're not doing that this year. So there, there will be, no, those guys will have a hard time. I, by the way, this is a statistic that I verified the other day. It's through 2013, I believe, from 1996 to 2013. So it's a big enough sample size to be accurate. First round quarterbacks succeed at a winning level in their first two years at 34% of the time. Try that one on for size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Peyton Manning had 23 or 28 interceptions his rookie year. It was only the last three games of the season where the arrow turned up. So, I mean, it's a real statistic. It's a fact. The other thing that you're going to see, uh, I'm certain of early and, and maybe even throughout the season, is that tackling will be not Pro Bowl disgraceful level. That's two-hand touch. But it's not going to be crisp and it's not going to be clean because if you don't you, – doing it against a dummy, even a moving dummy, is not like doing it against Barry Sanders yeah. or, or, you know, or a professional running back. So. I think as a result, offense may be ahead of the game for a fair amount of time, I think. Now, that, that's a surmise. I know that tackling will not be as crisp. Therefore, 
you, I think you can surmise that offense will, will come out of the gate smoking. And, and, and we may see some shootouts, which are entertaining for fans. Football purists like myself really don't like them. But, but the fact of the matter is that we'll probably see some. And depending upon the veteran makeup of the team, and I think about Kansas City and Tennessee immediately, if you have a, a team that's made up of a lot of veterans, you have a big leg up, a huge leg up. Because those guys, have an experienced coaching, coaching staff. Yes. Same thing, yes. right? Yes, they know the drill. So they don't need as much contact work. They need some, but they don't need as much contact work. And, they, and they're not going to be relying on rookies. If you're a team that's that's rebuilding or relying on rookies or bringing in a lot of new players like the Cleveland Browns, even though they have a lot of talent, that may not they may it, the, the the trip may not especially early may not be as smooth as as it would otherwise. So let me get this straight. Basically, we've got hope for all. We've got little contributions from rookies. We've got poor tackling. We've got experienced coaching staffs and veteran teams. And there are your trends to look out for for the 2020 season. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, it's great to hear you. It's great to hear your insights. I always love listening to Bill Pulley, and I learn from him every time I speak from him. I've learned that I can get away with uh, sneaking snacks out of the ESPN kiosks, and I've learned all about the trends for the upcoming season. I've learned what it takes to be a successful front office executive, and I appreciate the time, Bill, and I wish you a lot of luck with your podcast as well. Thank you, Adam. And, and please tell Seth that I will propose a trade to him. Whatever I owe ESPN for those uh, those <laughs> snacks that, that I forgot to pay for, if he forgives them, he can use my name on his, on his fantasy team going forward. I won't sue him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Bill. I will let him know that. But it is a great name, Polian's Dine and Dash. It's a, it's a tremendous fancy team name. And it's topical in this day and age. thanks for the time bill We'll, we'll do it again soon look forward to it buddy thank you this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. we all carry around different stressors i do you do we all do big small and when we keep them bottled up as i sometimes have had happen in the past it can start to affect us negatively therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. Are joining us now the outstanding punter of the New Orleans Saints, a member of the executive committee that has culminated months of negotiations for a new 10-year collective bargaining agreement in addition to the health and safety and financial plan that the NFL and the NFLPA put into place on Friday night. and the author of the new book, The Middle School Rules, an empowering book for kids 
on how to navigate life in middle school, which we will get to in this interview. Thomas Morstead. Thomas, thank you for the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, Thomas, this is the first time we've spoken, and we have mutual friends, colleagues, acquaintances, and everybody I've spoken to has always raved about you. So I wanted to get you on to hit on a number of issues in this key time in the NFL. There are going to be, what, is it tens of thousands of tests given in the NFL on a, is it every, on a weekly basis? There are going to be a ton of tests that the NFL gives out to its players, employees, administrators. How do you justify the league getting those tests that could go to the public? Well, look, uh, we've consulted with a, a uh, you know, a private company. You know, we've been assured that there's not an issue of um, public access to testing. So it's not like there was, there was, um, you know, 100,000 tests and we stole 80,000 of them and now the public only has 20. Yep. So if you look at the uh, tests that are out there over time, the U.S. continues to expand testing daily. And so, you know, obviously that was the biggest issue early on with supply chain, not with just testing, but with masks and other things like that. And so we've been assured that that, that, that won't be an issue and that, and that if, an, if it is an issue at some point, then we'd obviously have to look at um, do we continue or not? Because I think that was a moral question we all, you know, really felt strongly about. How about this? As we're talking right now, Thomas, the Florida Marlins just canceled their home opener or postponed it because eight players and two coaches tested positive for COVID. What if there were a situation like that in the NFL and that played out where there were eight players and two coaches who tested positive and that's the case here as I'm looking at the news flash on the TV that they've had at least 14 cases in recent days. What would happen in the NFL if that were to happen to a team in your mind knowing all the talks that you've had? Look, I mean, there's there's a chance that that happens. Um, you know, from the get go, we've said there's no, there's no way to guarantee that no one's going to get it. Um, you know, we're banking on a lot of uh, you know personal responsibility, and you know, people can laugh at that all they want. Um, I know, you know, I don't I don't have the numbers on our team, but I know it's less than a handful of guys have have had issues throughout the entire off season. So. I don't expect some of our behaviors to change other than the fact that we would all be coming to work together. And um, with all the different protocols, the, the three ridiculous, crazy cleanings that they're doing every single day in these public spaces, you know, the, the, the environment that we'll be in at the Saints facility will be the cleanest environment ever. <laughs> all we can do is do our best. And, um, but I'm sure there'll be a situation with the team this year where something like that happens because um, we are in such close contact with each other. I think the frequency of testing is the big thing, uh, just being on it uh, constantly so that as soon as we find guys, we can kind of get them isolated and make sure they're not affecting the rest of the team. Just wonder though, how that would play out in the NFL, what it would look like and how the league would react if it were to happen day before a game, day of a game, would there be a forfeiture? Sure. It's just, there are a lot of questions now and a lot of, scary incidents like this that are very unsettling and jarring to the world, not just the sports world, but to see how the NFL would handle something like this particular scenario that is unfolding in baseball as we talk right now. Yeah, look, I think, um, like I said, I know that there's a bunch of things going on to make sure that doesn't happen. I know they're, they're splitting up position groups in the locker room. Normally the, 
the uh, you know the specialists all lockered next to each other, the quarterbacks next to each other, and I think they're putting up all the lockers so that g- guys that will generally be grouped together won't be grouped together the rest of their day because that'd be the worst thing ever if all of a sudden you have all three of your quarterbacks all have it. You know, uh, what do you do then? Um, and so, look, I'm sure at some point something will happen that'll be a strain on a team uh, for a game. And uh, I'm not sure how, uh, you know, I, I know Rogers got kind of uh, the uh, the call on canceling things. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, the last few years, if we could transition to football, if we're fortunate enough to have a season, the Saints play their games, you've had, and I don't mean to bring this up to make you a, upset or mad or anything like that, but your playoff losses have been incredible. You've lost three straight playoff games on the very last play of the game. Of those playoff losses, was there one that was more painful than the other? Yeah, uh, I would say the Rams was the most painful. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, You know, I know there's a lot of calls throughout a game that can go one way or the other, but when something is so blatant and it's right at the end of the game, theoretically, we would have nailed the ball till about 15 seconds and kicked a 20 something yard field goal with a kicker that had made 90% of his kicks. And, and, you know, you feel like the, the odds would be extraordinarily in your favor to win that game and go on to the Super Bowl. So that's one, that's, that's the toughest one. I think the next toughest was the, the Vikings loss with the Minnesota miracle, but look, the guy made the play and we didn't. So that was that, you know, as shocking as that was, um, you didn't feel you know, it didn't feel like um, like you were cheated or, or that, that there was some extreme thing. I mean, we just didn't – they made the play, right? And then yep. I think last year was – last year was just shocking. We just got beat, you know. Uh, we had a chance at the end, obviously, but uh, we didn't play well enough to win last year. And, um, and I think losing at home in the wild card, uh, that just stings – on a personal level, because, you know, that, that certainly was not in the, in our mindset going into that game. The one loss against the Rams that you bring up, that is the most painful you say, I would imagine that's the kind of loss that you probably will carry with you for a very long time. Is that accurate? It is. It is. I've, I've had a few like that. Um, that one was, uh, that's one of those that I think coach would say, you, you, you know, you move forward, but you don't ever truly get over it. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, 49ers loss in the uh, divisional round out in San Francisco in 2011 season, which would have been early 2012. That was, a, that was a really tough one. I think we turned the ball over five times in that game, and we still had a chance to win at the end, and we didn't. And um, that, that I felt like we were the best team in football that year. Uh, we were just lighting everybody up, and – um, that was that was also a tough one to to swallow. And Thomas, you bring up the 2011 season. You've been with New Orleans since 2009. You are 34 years old now. So how does one player spend that long with one franchise performing at the level you have in the NFL? How does that happen? What 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 would you say to people that are setting out to try to go down a path that you've gone down here the last 11 plus years? Um, well, I would say there's certain things that you can control and certain things you can't. The things that you can't control is having the same GM, the same head coach, the same quarterback for that entire time. That's provided a tremendous stability 
not only for me, but for so many other people in the, uh, whether they're players or staff in the organization, I think everybody that's been able to stick around for that time uh, would say the same thing, that they're very grateful to those three people. You know, um, winning is a great thing. Uh, winning keeps people around and losing, they, they get rid of you. And so that's a general rule in the NFL. I think the things you can control is yourself, your performance. And, uh, you know, I remember as a young player, uh, our GM, Mickey Loomis, said, you know, Thomas, if you just kick the ball out of bounds 41 yards every time, we'd keep you forever. And, uh, you know, I, you know, punters growing up, you know, you know, how far, how high, you know, the big, big numbers. And I think I just heard from our GM that if I were to just drop my ego and just play the game with a level of consistency and control that they wanted, he told me they would keep me as long as I could do that. And so I really made the the uh, decision that, you know, I don't care what my gross average is every year. I could care less. I've just tried to control games and put the ball in the corner with hang time. And that's why you don't see a bunch of 60-yard punts out of me. But we just try to play uh, a very, very high level of consistent, controlled football. We're trying to steal momentum back when we punt. And I've been able to do that. And then also just adding value in the locker room, um, mentoring young players, whether it's teaching them what a 401k is or explaining why coach is asking them to do something on a certain special teams play. You know, I've had the benefit of being in the locker room for a long time. So I've obviously paid attention. And uh, I think just being valuable in any way possible uh, is a, a great mentality and attitude to have. You know, I've been the highest paid punter in the league for the past decade and uh, we don't punt very much so I, I've always felt the pressure to try to add value in any way possible uh, including mentoring our young kicker and long snapper who are both signed extensions now and they've become their own players and they're doing great so it's been um, a lot of things like that. So how much longer do you want to punt? Uh, I think I'd like to do it as long as my body would allow. Yeah. I feel strong. Um, I love doing it. You know, some people love hitting golf balls at the range on Sundays. I just like doing it on a football field with footballs. Um, and I, I just, you know, I've had a, uh, an experience of a lifetime so far. Um, you know, I've got to be a pro bowl player. Um, I've made a great living. Um, I've got to be a part of winning teams, uh, a lot of them. And I've met a lot of really amazing people. The relationships are awesome. And uh, when people talk about that's the lasting thing, it's the truth, uh, the people that you meet. And, you know, I'm on Adam Schefter's podcast right now. I never thought <laughs> I'd be doing that. That's uh, a low light, Thomas. That's a low light. No, no, no. Look, it's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of unique experiences that I just had the privilege of being a part of. And connecting with some really interesting highest level people you know i just i can't say enough about how good everything's been and um you know i'm just very grateful and i think having kids and playing it, it motivates me in a different way than i've ever been motivated to continue to play um because of just the experiences on a sunday of getting on the field and and then kind of knowing what's going on and you know i hope i play long enough to physically struggle to survive in this league so that they can watch dad really labor and work and so that I can provide that example for them.
it's interesting because you've had this long career. You've gotten to win a Super Bowl, as you mentioned, win a, go to a Pro Bowl, have all these honors. You've seen success up close. You've had a front row seat to success. So you've seen Drew Brees perform at the highest level, Sean Payton coach at the highest level, Mickey Loomis GM at the highest level, you punt at the highest level. What's the one trait that you've seen in successful people, Thomas? Um, I think a physical trait is guys that just show up every day. It, you know, it doesn't matter if it's practice or a game. There's a certain mentality you have when you come to work, and it's relentless. It never stops. I'm sure this is very applicable to what you do. I can't imagine. Your, your phone probably never turns off. And it's the same type of thing. There's certain people that just have this level of relentless pursuit of being great at what they're doing, that they're just not going to be denied. And I like to think that I possess that. Um, and then I think the other thing that's more of a, uh, a personality trait um, is just self-awareness. And I don't know if you can learn that or not. But um, people that are self-aware have a distinct advantage, I think, in any workplace. Um, and people that don't, man, it's, it's got to be brutal to not know. Um, and I just think knowing who you are, what you're capable of, what your job is, what your job isn't, uh, those can, if you don't have that, and I've seen lots of careers end early because of it. I think when you do these jobs, any of these jobs in sports, that require you to work on holidays, weekends, nights, irregular hours. I think the job has to be a part of you. It has to be in your I soul, right? I, I think you gotta, you, you have, you don't have to love every aspect of it, but deep down you better love what you're doing because if you don't, when it gets hard, you'll, you're just more likely to quit. And, and on the flip side, if it's really a part of who you are and you love certain aspects of it, you are willing to do more than anybody else to hold on to it. And um, so I totally agree with you. Yeah, it just, it just means a lot to you, right? It's yeah. it, it just, like I said, it's a part of you. It's a part of what you do and who you are. Um, and, Absolutely. And, that's... And, it's, and, it's not, and it's not part of your external. It's not about being able to make more money. It's not about being notable or uh, anything like that. It's something that's internal that motivates you that you just love doing this and you just want to be the best at it. And that's it. You know, it's funny. I, I, I go back to a conversation that I had. I remember when I was just finishing college and I was with two buddies. One of them lived in Washington and me and him and another friend, three of us were out to lunch with his mom. And she was asking us what we wanted to do with our lives. And, and I remember she asked her son he's, and he talked about wanting to go into real estate and, she asked our other friend, he talked about wanting to make the most money he could make. And she asked me, and I said, I want to be a sports reporter. And she looked at me and said, you have a real chance to succeed. Because I didn't care about the money. I didn't go into this for any money. I went into yeah. it, I loved it and cared about it. And I've been fortunate to do it now for over 30 years. And I love doing yeah. it. And, and, and it, and it. And it does define your life. You, of course, you have a wife, you have children, your family, and all those things. But the job as I mentioned, becomes a part of who you are. It just is. Yeah, and I think whenever she said that to you, because you were just motivated by doing the actual job, you just wanted to do that. Right. That's what I talked about, having that real love for it. And when you love something and you happen to be talented at it and you're going to give everything you have at it for an extended period of time, then some of those other things that people are motivated by, the, the money, 
all that stuff comes when you when you get to the highest level of any craft. And um, but you have to love it. And I think that's an awesome story. Well, thank you. Uh, speaking of work, you've just completed a book that has just come out called The Middle School Rules of Thomas Morstead, uh, an empowering book for kids on how to navigate life in middle school. What made you write this and what is the message of this book that you put out with the author, Sean Jensen, who was also a friend of mine? Well, uh, what convinced me to do it was Sean Jensen. He's a very persuasive guy. Um, you know, he I looked at some of the books that, uh, that he had written pre previously when he reached out to do this. And I'm looking and there's Hall of Fame players on these books. And I said, well, uh, this is some good company. I, I asked Sean jokingly, I said, what's your goal here? Are you trying to actually sell books? Because I'm a punter for a small market. He laughed. <laughs> And uh, he, he said, he said, Thomas, you know, you've got a great story and your, your story will be very unique relative to some of the other athletes that I've covered. And I think we do a great job and a great service to kids out there that are uh, struggling with certain things. And, um, you know, he really convinced me of why I should do it. And so I definitely opened up my life a little more than I probably have before. Um, but I've had just an outstanding um uh, experience with doing the book with Sean. He's a total pro yep. and he made it such, such an enjoyable thing. And, um, I don't know, I just, it's, it's been awesome, uh, sharing it with family and friends to get the stories and certain stories coming back to me that I never even knew about of how I've positively inf impacted other people. And, uh, so it's been very rewarding for me personally. And what's the message of the book to these young middle school children, Thomas? Well, I think really what it is, is, is for them to look up to somebody that's, you know, having success that maybe, maybe they look up to as a professional athlete uh, that they follow uh, to understand that um, the vulnerabilities that they're experiencing, I experienced and, and everybody experiences. And I think it's important to highlight those and for kids to understand that many of those vulnerabilities um, and discomforts force me to grow. Uh, taught me empathy and are really a reason that I'm where I'm at today and to just view those experiences and those hurdles and those struggles as uh, integral pieces to my growth and development of who I've become today and why I'm where I'm at. And so, um, you know, I think it's not only that, it's obviously a kid's book, but I really encourage parents to read it with their uh, kids because um, it really highlights uh, how important my parents were in my development and how everything you do as a parent is noticed uh, good and bad and that you really have, I mean, that's the, the most, the best investment of your time in your life is with your children and developing them and how important they were to me. And I hear your children in the background, so they need you now more than I need you. And I want to thank ah. you for your time today, Thomas, and let you know it was a pleasure to finally get the chance to speak to you on the phone. I hope it won't be the last time that we speak, and I hope I get the chance to actually see you in person one day soon, sooner rather than later. I have no idea when that will be, but it will be a treat and an honor and a privilege to go shake your hand and meet you in person. Yes, sir. Adam, I really appreciate it, and uh, same to you. Good luck with everything, and thank you again for, uh, for uh, highlighting the book for us. And so there is one member of the NFLPA's executive committee that put into place the plan this summer that will result in no preseason games. Now, everybody's wanted no preseason games. Now they finally will get them. But in talking to coaches around the league, I think here's the sense of what we may get. We're going to get here all sorts of 
testing and physicals this week. Then we're going to get three weeks of conditioning work for players. Then two weeks of practice. Then, if everything goes according to plan and there are no further setbacks, the start of the regular season without any preseason games. And as one person said to me last week, it's going to be a slop fest to open the season. That was the word that a head coach used to me, a slop fest to open the season because of the fact that there's no preseason games, there's less on-field work than ever before, and coaches believe that that's going to be manifested in the opening weeks of the season. Think back to other seasons when it's always a little sloppy to start out, and the brand of football is not quite up to the standard as it is later in the year. Well, that's going to be even more so the case this year. Again, I just think of that word that that one head coach said to me, slop fest. Keep that in mind. But the truth of the matter is, even if it's a slop fest, we're just going to be happy to have football period. In addition to it being a slop fest, it's also going to cost players who might have had the chance to stick on a roster the chance to cash in on their NFL dream. Think back to 2010 to when Victor Cruz was trying out for the Giants and he went into a preseason game with the Jets and caught three touchdown passes in one game. Made the roster on that one game. And because he impacted the preseason so much, sticks to the roster and helps the Giants win the Super Bowl. Victor Cruz does. There's going to be a Victor Cruz out there this year that doesn't get his chance. That happened with Adam Thielen. That happened with Austin Eckler. Undrafted free agents will not get the chance this summer to shine. But again, this is just a part of the new world that we're living in and adjusting to and adapting to. And that's just the way that it's going to be this season. All right. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together, putting up with me. Never easy. I want to thank Bill Poley, the Hall of Fame general manager for his time, the Saints punter, Thomas Morstad, a member of the NFLPA's executive committee. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when there will be more news of training camps, COVID tests, trades, moves, whatever it may be. Whatever it is, we'll have it for you here next week. And until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.